The Way Out Podcast, episode 370. What is your name? <laughs> My name is Casey Ariaga. Casey, what was your substance of choice or DOC if you had one? Well, I would say I started out with sex and love addiction, um, dabbled in food, certainly. In terms of outside chemicals, alcohol was the first. Um, I tried. I didn't smoke a lot of weed, but when I did smoke it, I smoked like as much as possible for the entire day, Um, you know, and it didn't do what I was looking for it to do. So alcohol really was sort of a fallback. Um, I've gotten deep into some codependency and things like that. You know, it all depends on how one defines addiction, but in terms of maladaptive behavior, the cause of problems in my life, and I can't stop when I want to, um, yeah. I did did all of that, issues around money, where I had to, you know, join some recovery fellowships around that. And um, so, yeah, basically, I always said I was addicted to more and whatever mm. I haven't tried yet, a lot of novelty seeking. So, uh, yeah, I guess that'd be, that'd be my answer to the question. Casey, brother, so many people listening right now uh, can likely very much identify with that. Uh, me included, although alcohol was my first love and my ultimate downfall. Certainly, I played addiction whack-a-mole throughout my active addiction, for sure. Casey, if you keep one, what is your clean and or sober date? Uh, That would be January 1st of 2006. Yeah, I've got 17 years and nine months and 22 days. Amazing, brother. Congratulations. And as you well know, it is indeed one day at a time. Now, that it is, yes. What I really have is today. I was going to say that. but um, You got it. Yeah, so if we're looking for the calendar stuff, then yeah, a little over 17 years. Casey, you are a friend of the show, so we're going to improvise. You've got a new book out, brother, and I think it's great. I cannot wait to talk all about it in the main part of the interview. The book that you've got out is called Mommy's Getting Sober a children's picture book that also includes a caregiver's guide to talking to kids about addiction. So I have two questions right out of the gate about your new book, and then we will launch into the main interview. Casey, why did you feel compelled to write this book? Well, I'm going to say partly it's a bit of a higher power thing. Um, I guess if we're going to call it a compulsion, that's what the compulsion is. I mean, the the underlying thing, my, my vision, as so many people do in recovery, of who I am and why I'm here has changed a lot. You know, when I first came in the program and I was talking about this at a meeting just the other night, um, when I first came in to recovery 25 years ago, so you can do some more math there and figure out, I didn't get this thing right away. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both, yeah. So when I first came into the rooms about 25 years ago, if you had asked me like, why am I here? I would have said, I'm here to shake things up. I wanna be smart and edgy and cool. And that's how I want people to remember me. But today I would say, what I want to be is helpful and loving and kind. Mm. And I can't control how people remember me, but that's that's what I want to put in the world. And that's what I feel like I'm called to do by my higher power, if that doesn't sound too pretentious. It's just, you know, when I ask my higher power, like, what am I supposed to be doing? That's the answer I get. Yeah. And I've always been a creative person, you know, when I was a little kid, as a young adult, you know, now in middle age. Um, I've always been somebody who just felt like I'm supposed to be, or I just do create things, whether it's writing songs, writing, uh, you know, writing poetry, whatever, uh, visual art, all that sort of thing. But my dad raised me to be a writer. Mm. And here's where it really intersects. He wanted me to be a writer. I, like a lot of people, pushed back because that's what my dad wanted, so I wasn't gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, is he also had a problem with alcohol. And it was an unspoken thing in the family. Like we all knew it. I mean, there was no way to escape the fact, but it couldn't be said out loud either. So I've written a couple books before. I wrote, you know, Realistic Hope, which was my survival guide for family members to understand about addiction and recovery and what you can do, what you can't do. 
I wrote a book called Spirituality for People Who Hate Spirituality to help anyone, especially in recovery, but really anyone who's struggling with those issues. And I never thought to write a children's book until I was sitting in a meeting of this book marketing group that I'm in for self-published authors. You know, we give each other tips and encouragement on how to get our books out there. And one of the people in the group said, um, hey, you know, children's books are really hot right now. And so we should all think about writing a children's book. And I took it kind of as a joke, you know, but really it was a higher power thing. I took it kind of as a joke. And my first thought was, what am I, I'm going to write a book like Mommy Drinks Too Much. Um, you know, what, what children's book am I going to write here? <laughs> right. <laughs> but later, probably like on the drive home from that meeting, I thought, now I should be writing a book called Mommy's Getting Sober because I work at a treatment center and I love this place it's called Windmill Wellness Ranch. It's a wonderful treatment center. And so I run into a lot of parents who have young kids yeah. and they have no idea how to talk to those kids about mm -hmm. addiction. So many people start out by lying to kids yeah. and the kids know they're lying, right? They may not be able to put their finger up, but they know like it doesn't add up. Like mommy's not just tired or sick, right. like right. something's wrong. Right. And usually, you know, by the time the kids are really not that old, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, they could probably tell you when they walk into the room you bet. or when dad gets home, they could just take one look and be like, oh, we're going to have that kind of night. You bet. Well, you bet. I, I, I thought, what if I could write the book that I wish I had as a kid? What if I could write a book that would be helpful for kids to kind of give them a voice and start a conversation? And that led to the second part that you mentioned about in the, the back of the book is a caregiver's guide written for the caregivers, for the adults to read on how to talk to kids about addiction. And so while it started almost as a joke, it ended up being like a really serious undertaking. And so I, I wrote basically my portion of the book in one night and then got up the next morning did a little editing and said okay i've got this and then it being a children's picture book i needed an illustrator and so i started talking i, I talked to a couple different illustrators both of whom had like personal connection to the work because i'd had some people say you know you can hire an artist overseas really cheap and you know and i went and looked at some of those sites and thought like okay i could do that but i would so much rather talk to an artist and I know you know a lot of artists of various stripes in recovery you know why am I not talking to an artist who maybe can relate to this experience and so I ended up finding someone Sky Hilton who's just a really talented young woman who can personally relate to this material and um, she did a beautiful set of set of illustrations that tells its own story along with the text and it's something that I really love um, in the way she went about doing that, where it wasn't just, you know, me saying, you know, I look out the window at the moon and you see a picture of a kid looking at the window at the moon. She really was writing um, or creating a set of illustrations where you could almost cover up the text and just look at the illustrations. If you've been through some of this experience, you'd have a pretty good idea of what's going on emotionally for that child. So I really wanted to create something like that, um, that would be able to help kids find their voice and help caregivers learn how to talk to them. All born out of just an offhand comment that somebody made. And uh, you'll be the first person that I that I say this to on um, any kind of interview, but uh, I am actually gonna make a trilogy out of it. I'm gonna put out two other books to kind of frame this story. Um, before recovery, in early recovery, which is what this book is. And then as a parent's recovery is getting more solid, um, finding that child's voice and where they stand in things now that, uh, that that initial storm seems to be over. That is so cool, Casey, just hearing the genesis of it and how this amazing book came to be. My second and final intro question before we launch into the main part of the interview is what do you hope if you could hope for one thing a reader gets out of this book 
I would say the number one thing that I hope a reader would get out of it, and I'm gonna, I'll be honest with you, I'm gonna split this question in two because when you say a reader, you have your adult who's reading the book, yeah. presumably to the child, and you have the child who's experiencing it. And I'm gonna start with the child, but I would really hope the thing that they could take away is that they're not alone and they can have a voice in this, that it's okay to speak the truth out loud and to start ultimately to find some of their own recovery. And I would hope that an adult reading this book to a child would first of all be able to recognize the reality of how much kids know yeah. and would help them in finding that voice. Because a lot of times kids are not gonna find that voice on their own. Um, you know, when we're little kids, it, it it's not gonna, automatically cross our mind like hey I should talk to a therapist or go to a recovery meeting or you know just talk to someone you know supportive about this stuff it that may never cross their mind without an adult being able to help and facilitate with that so I really hope that the, the adult could take that away and how to support a child in that journey welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast we appreciate your ears our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out Podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, I'm pleased to bring you my interview with licensed clinical social worker, licensed chemical dependency counselor, person in long-term recovery, and author of several books on addiction and recovery, including his newest offering, Mommy's Getting Sober, a children's picture book that also includes a caregiver's guide to talking to kids about addiction, Casey Ariaga. Casey shared his journey to and through recovery in greater depth and about his prior book on an earlier episode of The Way Out, which turned out to be a phenomenal interview. So do check the show notes for a handy link to the aforementioned episode. Casey's newest addition to his recovery literature repertoire fills two important gaps in the quit-lit space. First, it's a children's picture book with an accompanying caregiver's guide that aims, as Casey so eloquently puts it, to aid families in interrupting harmful generational patterns resulting from addiction and alcoholism. Second, and as impactful, is that the book aims to create empathy between the caregiver's journey in recovery and the child's journey 
so each can have a better understanding of what the other is going through and lends helpful vocabulary to articulate their respective experiences to each other. It will indeed then be no surprise that this here interview with the one and only Casey Ariaga is a particularly articulate discussion on the often thorny and uncharted territory that is a family life in recovery. So listen up. Casey Ariaga, thank you so much, brother, for coming back on to the Way Out podcast to share just a tiny bit about your journey to and through recovery to this point, but a lot about your new book, Mommy's Getting Sober, a children's picture book that also includes a caregiver's guide to talking to kids about addiction. I can't wait to dig into the book and the subject matter, the all important subject matter that it deals with before we get into any of that. Why don't you take a moment to reintroduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience? Tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get started. Well, thank you so much for having me back. Um, so yeah, my name is Casey Ariaga. I am a person in recovery for 25 years, 17 years of those continuously sober as I'm counting them. Um, uh, since I got into recovery, I went back to school, just another one of those, some would say God shot type of things. I sort of fell into the recovery, uh, recovery treatment world. Um, I just applied for a job and even know for sure, for sure what it was. And I went there and the guy says, so, uh, you know anything about recovery? And I'm like, Oh yes, sir. I'm a few years sober myself and et cetera, et cetera. And then a little bit after that, I went back to school and decided I was wanted to be a counselor. So I got my undergraduate studies in chemical dependency counseling, got my master's in social work, and now I'm a clinical social worker. And actually, one of the things I love is I have the opportunity to help train up and coming social workers now and supervise them. But one of the things that launched me into doing this was that um, I got to sit in a family workshop and see people working on recovery with their families. And a lot of times the families like really not having any way to wrap their head around what was happening with their loved one, let alone the idea that the family members would need their own recovery. And yeah. in that moment, I was really inspired. And that's part of what inspired me to go back to school and get all those degrees was to see this family workshop and just think like, how do I, how do I learn how to do that? So Fast forward to today, I'm a clinical social worker. I run a family workshop every weekend with the treatment center that I work at at Windmill Wellness Ranch. Um, we get our alumni and alumni families coming back to the workshop. So I have people that have been coming to the workshop for years. They're sharing experience, strength, and hope with the new families whose loved one just hit the shores of treatment for the first time. And all of that is just super inspiring for me. And I kind of told myself in the back of my head, when I get my degree at some point, when I'm all done with that, because that's plenty of reading, writing all by itself. Yeah. But when I'm done with all that, I'm going to write a book. And a couple of years after I got out of school, I did. I wrote my first book for family members, kind of based on all that family workshop stuff. And that was my first book called Realistic Hope. And I kind of thought, yeah, I probably just got one book. That might be it. But somebody challenged me at one point and said, young Casey, a lot of people got one book in them. How many people have two books? And that was just before I published the first one. So I think I, I like to say I don't have any character defects. My higher power can't put to good use. <laughs> no. So my higher power kind of like nudged my pride a little bit on that. I was like, oh, I'm going to write two books. So I wrote the second book, Spirituality, for people who hate spirituality, to help people through their spiritual struggle and find a spirituality that works for them, especially if religion doesn't click as well. Uh, so I did that, and I kind of thought, well, that might be it. And an idea for a third book popped in, and halfway through writing – that third book, or maybe just near, near, probably not halfway through, maybe a quarter of the way through writing the new book, um, which I'm still working on, this idea for a children's book came in, introduced by somebody, and, uh, and I wrote a children's book, and I think I'm going to write two more to kind of make round that into a trilogy. So yeah, I'm a guy in recovery, I'm a family man, I got a wife and a kid, um, I work on my recovery every day. I work on my spirituality every day. And I think today I just try and show up as the best version of myself that I can. So, yeah, that's me. 
I love it, Casey. And we're going to talk a lot about the uh, new book that just came out. If you want to hear Casey's full recovery story, check out episode 319. And you'll hear Casey's journey to and through recovery to this point in full. It's quite the story. So much experience, strength, and hope within it. So make sure you check that out. Casey, as we were talking in the intro and you were relating why you wrote this book and one of the reasons was that kids aren't stupid and it doesn't take them very long and they don't have to get very old to know if mom or dad has a substance problem or an addictive behavior problem. And it took me right back to my own journey right before getting sober this last time, eight plus years ago, where my wife at the time, in desperation after a mess of a Thanksgiving and birthday party for my son, where I got drunk and didn't want to, and asked what was wrong with me. And my oldest child looked at her and looked at me and said, what do you mean? It's just dad. He's just drunk again. And... That's that moment I realized that I wasn't fooling anybody. I wasn't fooling my kids. I wasn't fooling anybody. And my oldest child knew for a long time that dad was a drunk, right? Um, And I was the last one to figure out that everyone knew. And so this book addresses that and so much else in um, the caregiver's guide. So walk me through, Casey, what the book actually walks us through from a subject matter perspective, and then what the caregiver's guide walks us through. Um, a child's point of view on what what it looks like when their parent comes to them and says, hey, I'm getting sober. Mm. And so it actually opens up by saying, mommy's getting sober. She says that sober means she'll be a better mommy. I love her already, but I'm happy if she's happier this way. She says she's not using the bad stuff anymore. I think this is good, but I'm not sure I understand. Why would she ever use bad stuff? And so with that opening, that's the first two pages of the book, um, I wanted to be able to get across what it's like to be a child. Mm. And including being a child, when your parent says, hey, I'm making this big change, kind of like, aren't we all happy and excited? And for the child, they're just thinking like, I'm not 100% certain what this means. Right. But I know something's been wrong, and my parents' behavior has not been making sense. Yeah. And so in a way, saying, hey, I'm making this big change doesn't necessarily make sense either. I mean, I'm like, I'm happy. Yay, this is good. But also, there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. And so yeah. I wanted to try and convey what that looks like for a child. Um, and then as the book goes along and you'll see it in the illustrations as well. You know, when my wife first started looking at the illustrations as they were coming in, um, she said like, wow, there's sure a lot of nighttime here. And I said, well, keep, keep reading as the book goes along. (laughs) It gets lighter and lighter. And by Mm -hmm. the end, it's literally sunshine, sunshining over their house. Um, So it's kind of talking about also a journey into hope and optimism but an understanding that that's not going to come overnight and it's not going to be a miracle cure probably for the parent, but it's certainly not going to be a miracle cure for the child that there's hope, there's optimism, there's love, but there's also a realistic understanding that, you know, questions are going to have to be answered. Trust is going to have to be built and that we can do that together. Mm but let's be realistic about what it is we're doing and not just try and sweep it under the rug. Like, Hey, I got sober. All right, cool. Isn't that cool? Everything's done. Yay. We're good. Um, that a child is still often going to feel self-conscious 
might walk on eggshells, might have distorted ideas of who they're supposed to be now, and that we want to be able to address those things and be able to envelop that child in as much safety as we can. So that's that's sort of the the main body of the book. But as I was writing it, I thought, um, somewhere in here, someone's got to talk to the, the caregivers. And I, I've said caregivers because the caregiver is not always the parent. You bet. Um, you know, I partly had, since I work at a treatment center, I partly had in mind, like, what's a book you could get for a kid while their parent's in treatment or is about to get home from treatment or just got home from treatment? What's, what's a book that you could read to them? Um, but a lot of times, you know, the caregivers just aren't sure what to say. And so we try and say reassuring things, but often, whether we intend to or not, we try and either sugarcoat the truth or just skip it completely. Or worst of all, just don't talk about it. Like we're all just going to like pretend like like nothing happened. Right. Um, and none of those is going to work really well for the kids. So the the last few pages of the book are a caregiver's guide. But I wanted to write it in a way where, you know, and I know I was an inquisitive kid. I would have said like, hey, what's this part of the book about? And I thought I want to write this so that if you read this out loud, if you read the caregiver's guide out loud to your child, it's still helpful for everybody. Yeah. So it's not like talking behind the kid's back. It's just saying like, sure. Some, <laughs> yeah. Now that the kid's not listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there is a real intent to be able to bridge build between the caregiver, mom, dad, and the child and build some empathy for what the child is experiencing likely and what the parent or caregiver is experiencing likely. And that's an important piece because especially in early recovery and for good reason, by and large, we're focused on ourselves from a recovery perspective. Sure. Got to get well and we've got to, put some work in, in order to launch our recovery and wellness journeys. But it was one of the hardest things for me to be able to relate what my addiction was like and why I'm in recovery what my goal is in recovery to my kids. Like that's a really hard thing to relate for a lot of us. And so, and to be able to take a moment and put ourselves in their shoes and understand what they may very likely be experiencing. So I think that's a really important piece. And I'm not aware of any other book that, is serving that purpose right now. So that, that I think is really important too. Well, thank you. And I, yeah, I tried to do my due diligence before I wrote this and I don't know that it would have stopped me, but just wanted to see like, you know, what else is out there. Um, and there are definitely some people out there trying to carry a good message for, for kids and their caregivers. There are a couple of children's books to sort of understand addiction in a more general way, but I, I didn't see anyone else saying and doing exactly what I was hoping to say and do this with this book. So which inspired, it gave a little more urgency to say like, yeah, I want this to be out there. Right. Um, and I like what you said about uh, sort of trying to build empathy on both sides. Yeah. Um, and uh, if I may, I'm going to just read another page out of the book here. It says, I hope that if I was a better kid, she might be better too. Now she says that none of this was my fault, and I'm glad to hear that, but I'm still being careful. Mm. And I wanted to get that across because, you know, you can hear, or certainly my, my hope is you can hear what I was intending is to be able to hear that, hear that this parent is really trying to get it right. Yeah. Right. Like she's going to her kid and saying, hey, look, this wasn't on you. And I drew that partly from my own experience. I, I got sober when my daughter was two years old. Yeah. And that's another thing, of course, that informs this book is you some bet. of those conversations that I had with her, you know, not just when I was getting sober, but 
kind of as, you know, as the years of early sobriety were going along and I was still dealing with some of my own emotional turmoil inside, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I would say to her, in fact, I remember a conversation one time when I totally lost it. I got really angry over, you know, whether or not she was going to get dressed and go to school that day. And, you know, school was a new thing. So she would have been probably five, maybe six years old. So she was still really young. And I lost it, just got really angry. And then being in recovery, I, you know, tried to like kind of walk it back and and say, okay, look, look, you know, that was, I went way over the top. I'm really sorry about that. Let's go ahead and get you to school. And so we're in the car, we're driving and, you know, it's only a mile or two to her school. So we're driving and I just, I knew in my heart, like, I need to let her know this is not your fault. And so I remember saying like, honey, I'm, I'm really sorry that that wasn't your fault. And you could hear, yeah, she was still kind of coming down from all she was sniffing a little bit in the back seat. And, you know, in her little girl voice at the time, she piped right back up and said, well, whose fault was it? And I was like, uh, <laughs> well, as the designated adult in this situation, I said, honey, that this was my fault. And, you know, we could talk about family patterns and it all mm. goes back to the big bang. But at the end of the day, this is on me. But I recognized that this idea, you know, I'm glad to hear that, but I'm still being careful. I could see that in her at the time. Yeah, that she still, you know, she was cautious, kind of watching me sometimes, like, is he going to blow up again? Yep. And I had to live with that and work through that. And you talked, you know, earlier about living amends and things like that, which is absolutely necessary. But for me, part of the amends is being able to have these conversations and being able to tell kids these words and then also demonstrate for them that you are safe now. And for that, I had to like work really hard as a parent. Um to, you know, kind of hit that standard of saying, can I show up in the best way I can and recognize that no matter how well I show, I show up, she might still be scared sometimes. Right. Or if I, you know, move a certain way or hit a certain volume with my voice, even if I'm not upset, she might still feel some of that same old reaction. And in there, that's one of the reasons why I was always really free with the idea of like, I am happy to pay for therapy for you. If you ever want to ride to a recovery meeting for family members, you know, all these kinds of things. And at various times, she's taken me up on all of that. And she's a young adult now, and she picks her own therapist and, you know, has her own insurance coverage and all that kind of stuff. But at the time, you know, it was just very clear to me, like, you know, there's the living amends of behaving better. And then there's the more active amends of knowing I can't heal this for her, but I can set her up for success if she chooses to heal. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and being able to understand Casey, and that's such an instructive way to be able to frame what is such a difficult and often precarious kind of subject matter to be able to broach with a child, especially a small child, but any child is the parent in recovery. If they're really, as you said, try to do the deal and like, Hey, this isn't on you. This is on me. And I was sick and I'm getting better. And the things that I did when I was sick weren't your fault. And I love the child's reaction of relief. And also, like, I'm still not sure if I'm totally trusting it yet. I'm still nervous. I'm still going to be a little, a little weary about the whatever history of unpredictable behavior that came out of mom or dad or caregiver, you know, for however many years. Yeah. And being able to relate that in a way that's safe in that builds that empathy between the parent and the caregiver. And before we hit record again, we did talk about that living a men piece. And I think that for folks who do work the 12 steps and are in a 12 step program, you know, living a mend is a really important part of rebuilding 
relationships with all sorts of people, but especially the people that are closest to us, children included. But to be able to have a honest, safe, and healthy conversation around what is happening in early recovery is such a needed thing. Because again, I'll go back to it. I've been in this thing long enough to know that it's a really hard thing for a lot of us to really be able to talk about with confidence and competence with our kids. It's true. And that's, that's my hope for the book is if it did nothing else would be to help some of those conversations move forward, help people just get some kind of a foothold. And I got to say, you know, the book's been out for coming up on two months, not quite two months yet as we're recording this. And something that's been really gratifying that I didn't see coming at all when I wrote the book is where it can help people who grew up around this who are now adults. And oh, interesting. I yeah, I, I yeah, I'm writing this book, you know, sort of broad based, like four to twelve years old, aimed more at the younger kids, but hopefully helpful even as they're getting a little older. But I've had uh, the opportunity to see a couple of friends read it. Um, some who were in longer term recovery themselves and reading it and thinking about their relationship with their kids, but also people who had grown up around the disease who were like my age, you know, late forties, early fifties, that kind of thing. And I had a friend where I had the opportunity completely by surprise uh, to sit and read her the book. And she ended up just leaning against me and crying. And I thought, I never would have seen that coming. Mm. That it can give people an opportunity, you know, that's sort of a secondary hope here, but it's a very real hope is that it can also give people an opportunity who may have grown up around the disease to be in touch with that childhood part of themselves that might still be carrying some of that hurt. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because that kind of unexpected connection from a reader it can be it can be really special and well often folks like us have experience in childhood around this uh, disease so uh, being able to you know provide something that allows people to be able to have that kind of experience is, is really a beautiful thing Casey, I want to talk a little bit about the process of the book because writing a book is no small feat and it takes a considerable amount of time and effort. And this is very different from your two previous books in really important ways. How was the process for you in terms of writing a children's book and how did it differ from? your first two books well the the process itself in some ways i could say it was fairly quick i wrote it i sat down and wrote the first draft sitting on the couch next to my wife in one night and then got up the next morning and did some editing and said like okay i think i've got it but in another way you could say like you know the book was 54 years in the making. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. I sure. grew up all my life around addiction and, you know, I don't have any time in my life where I haven't had it around me. Thankfully in these later years, it's been, I'm surrounded mostly by recovery. You know, my wife and I both got into recovery uh, partway through our marriage. We've been in recovery together for over 20 years now. My daughter has grown up, you know, she grew up the first couple of years around active addiction. And then from then on around active recovery. And I've gotten to see the, the powerful impact of that. I've gotten to see my daughter's experience of my addiction and early recovery and later recovery. I've had my own experience as a parent, as a person in recovery, as a child who grew up around it. So all of those things informed it. Now, I can say to some extent that's true of my other books, but 
you know, the other books, I'm a bit of a research science geek. So like, if you flip to the back of any of my other books, you know, they're full of footnotes and research that I did and papers that I read and all this kind of stuff. Whereas this one is really just more poured out from the heart to just say, what was it like for me as a kid combined with, with running all these family workshops that I've done at various treatment centers. Some of the things that I've heard come out from kids, because mm. I've always kept a really open format to the family workshop, you know, from the time in my career where I was able to more shape it the way I wanted to be. I've always, people said like, well, should kids be 18 or what? And I'm like, no, dude, it, from six years old on, they've got something to say. Yeah. And even if it's earlier than that, you know, someone's like, well, could I bring my three-year-old? It's like, well, mostly they're just going to distract you and want to pull you away from the workshop. But if they're able to like, you know, play on the floor or color a book while this is going on, they're still going to be soaking something up. So I've always said, this is kind of an all ages thing that we're doing here in family work. So the research in this case was not reading a bunch of research papers on what's it like for kids. It was more looking back and saying, what was it like for me? What was it like for my daughter? What was it like for my wife when she was young? And what have I seen and heard kids say? And then also talking with other parents in recovery about things that their kids have said. And so a little bit of all of that flowed into this book. Really experiential, Casey, in terms of what ended up being poured into this book. Your experience personally from childhood all the way on up with your family of origin and your family now, and then all of the family work that you've done from a professional perspective all culminated into this book. And it shows in terms of how well-informed it is and how well it really bridges that empathy gap between the parent and the child I can envision, Casey, this book being given to every parent that leaves treatment. <laughs> you know, I can really envision that. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. And of course, if that happens, I'll probably never know it. But right. I will say, you know, I've, I've had the experience, you know, you I, I try not to be obsessive about the book sales and all that kind of stuff because that's not what it's all about. But, you know, yeah. I mean, I go and look and say, like, OK, are, you know, is, are people buying it? That kind of thing. And. I had the experience recently where uh, 30 books sold in one day, sort of like in a very short period of time. And I don't know, you know, I have no way to tell if that's a backlog of things that sold over a week or if somebody went and bought 30 books. But my hope was exactly what you're saying. I was hoping like maybe someone out there went like, you know what, let me buy a box of these things and everybody who comes to treatment gets a book. You that would it. be like one of my favorite things. Or I, I know... It. Um, a therapist who's running an adult children of alcoholics group uh, who borrowed 10 of the books to see like, what would it be like to bring this to adult children? Yeah. Process it a little bit and see what that's like. So again, the, the book, you just, you know, less than two months in the world and it's already kind of finding this life of its own and finding ways that people can hopefully be helped by it that, that I didn't even see coming. And I'm so grateful for that. And it's made me think though, in having these conversations in these different ways that people interact with the book that's so gratifying it's going to bring me back to a question that you asked earlier like what's something you hope people would take away from the book the thing that i hope most is that it can change intergenerational patterns mm. that there's an opportunity that a hundred years from now and there would be no way to ever know this but a hundred years from now somebody doesn't grow up under the effects of this disease, because today somebody was able to make a change. That's my hope. I love that. And that's one of the most profound things that ever comes out of somebody's recovery story that's shared either on this podcast or anywhere is when they relate that they're well aware and exceptionally grateful for changing generational patterns, for disrupting generational patterns, that often is what people will 
relate as the thing that they're most proud of that is their greatest success in recovery is just that. Absolutely. And for, for the struggles that my daughter has had, I'm very grateful, especially given two parents that both uh, were in active addiction when she was born uh, to say that that's not a struggle that she's had. And she's 27 now and you can never say anyone's completely out of the woods, but you know, right. she made it through adolescence. Um, and there were times when we thought other mental health issues might, might take her under. And they certainly caused a lot of turmoil in her life, but she always knew recovery was possible. She always knew help was possible. She knew what that looked like. And I, I want to thank one of the really important things is she got to see both of us as her parents model it. So it wasn't just something we paid lip service to, but she saw that we went to meetings, we saw a therapist, you know, we, we did all these things. We talked about it around the house of, you know, changes we're making our lives and stuff like that. So in all of that, the, the, the reality of seeing like, we can change these intergenerational patterns. We can set a different example for kids. Um, and my hope again, especially like with the caregiver's guide in the back or the, the main portion of this book, being able to hopefully give a voice for kids is there's an opportunity to catch it earlier and earlier and earlier without waiting. It's just kind of like if you knew diabetes or, or a heart condition runs in your family, hopefully you don't wait till someone has a heart attack to talk about it. Absolutely. You talk about like, hey, this runs in the family. Here's some things we can do. And so that was an important part of the caregiver's guide was to say, you know, here's some things you can do that might help them head this off, you know, teach them how to avoid similar problems in the future, because this deal is like 50% genetic. So there's some stuff about it you can't change. But our genes are not um, fate. They are tendency. They're potential. So being able to, you know, you can't say, oh, there's this magic way. If you raise a kid just right, they'll never have any problems. But you can say you can increase their odds of staying sober. Um, you can increase their odds of embracing recovery if they, you know, fall down this uh, fall down this rabbit hole themselves. And I was on a online meeting yesterday, and I got to hear somebody relate, saying like, "Yeah, I grew up with both my parents in recovery, and so I went to all these meetings when I was a kid, and you know, tagged along for all this stuff, and I never thought I'd need it, but." I do now, and so here I am. And I just thought, you know, that person might have lost their life, or they might have gone another 10, 20 years in their disease if yeah. no one had ever said, here's the solution, here's where you find it, and we've shown you in our lives that it works. What a difference that can make for somebody. Yeah, and that's beautiful, Casey. And like you said, as parents or caregivers in recovery, being in recovery is no guarantee or assurance that our children won't experience addiction. But when we model that healthy change is not only possible, but worth it, that gives a, a really great example to that child that if they're experiencing turmoil or trauma or unwellness in any way, shape, or form from a mental health perspective, that help is available and healthy change is possible and absolutely worth it. Because that's the other thing, like showing that you can stop something, that's one thing, but showing that you can make a healthy change and every day proving that the life that you have because you've made that change is better, is worth it. That's the real magic behind it. Why would you want it if, you know, mom or dad quits drinking or quits doing drugs, but they're miserable? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, again, it's important to be honest with the kids. We don't have to pretend like, you know, yeah, I'm living the dream every day. Right. <laughs> but we can definitely show that it's, you know, in the long term, it's an upward spiral. And that's something where, 
you know, I've gotten that direct feedback from my own daughter, partly in the words she said and, and telling me, you know, over time, like, you're so much of a better parent than you used to be. And some of those things that I absolutely treasure in my heart. Mm. But also, you know, actions speak louder than her words. Her actions are that she's never hesitated to reach out for help. Yeah. And now as she's become a, you know, a young, a young adult and a young woman in her own right, you know, she's become more discerning about like, Hey, who's a, who's a good therapist for me? Who's not, uh, you know, making like informed and, and self-affirming choices for how she's going to live her life and where she's going to get help. That kind of thing really lifts me up and makes me think like, I mean, I can't look in the future and know if she can have kids or how many or what that's going to look like. But if she does, I know they're off to a much better start than than some other people and other generations, myself included, got off to. No matter how well intentioned my parents were, I mean, they were all doing their best at the time that they could. But I was able to pick up more tools along the way. They were probably doing better than their parents. I got to do better than they did, and my daughter now has got a head start if she decides to start her own family. And that kind of thing to me is just gold. No question. Casey. And I can't wait, by the way, to see what the next book is. We have already know that there's going to be a, a prequel and a prequel and a sequel to Mommy's Getting Sober, a children's picture book that also includes a caregiver's guide to talking to kids about addiction. But you've got a whole another book in the works as well. Is this recovery centric? It is. It is. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm waiting at some point for the uh, fire hose to slow down. I'm yeah. <laughs> keep throwing ideas out there about about books. But yes. Yeah. My my little self-publishing house is called Recovery Tree. So pretty good bet that the things I'm going to write about, they're going to tend to be around recovery. I mean, I've, there's so much to be said and written and help to be given on that. I don't know if I get to the end of my life and we'll have run out of things to talk about yet. So um, my guess is, yeah, the next book I'm writing is definitely around recovery. And I've got another one outlined after that for, you know, both books for grownups. Um, outside of the children's book series, I've got two more books for grownups, one of which I've started, another one which, which I've outlined. So, yep, this train is going to keep on rolling. And if at some point my higher power wants me to do something else, I'll do that instead. For the time being, I think I'm going to be writing about recovery. I love it. I absolutely love it. It is a very deep well, Casey, to draw from in terms of material for sure. And you've been able to really identify some really great subject matter that really hasn't been addressed in the way that you're addressing it. So kudos to you on that. My friend, Casey, are you ready for our closing questions? Hit me. Let's do it. You know, we evolve as people. We evolve in recovery, and so, you know, our answers can change, and that's probably a good thing. So it'll be a fun little bit if people want to go back and see how Casey has evolved in his answers to these questions. Uh, the first one of which is, what does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? I uh, roll out of bed every day. I hit my knees. I grab a couple of daily readers from a couple of different 12-step programs and my journal. And currently a step workbook guide because I'm going through the 12 steps again. I've kind of lost track how many times I've gone through them, but it's time again. Um, so I get up, hit my knees, do the prayer, grab books, go out to my living room and read through my daily readers, sit down with the journal and do two-way prayer. It's a great way for me to be in touch with my higher power. Um, after that this morning, I cracked open my step workbook and did one of the questions to help me move forward on step six. And then uh, typically I do a little yoga, jump on a meeting. I do a lot of online meetings, some phone meetings and uh, one home group meeting in person. Uh, but most mornings I get on a 12-step meeting of some kind. Did that this morning. And then um, at that point, I've had an opportunity to nourish my spirit, my mind and my body. Uh, sometimes there's a light workout in there feed the animals, and I get going with my day. I will often speak with a sponsee on my way to work and sometimes on the way home. Um, some days I'll call my sponsor. So a lot of times driving to and from work, I have about a 20-minute commute. So a lot of times I get a phone call in there somewhere. 
talk to someone else in recovery. And um, yeah, I'd say at this point, I, I probably hit seven to nine meetings on average per week. You know, it's funny when I look back 25 years ago, I used to go to one meeting a week and be like, man, I'm going to a meeting every week. And I remember <laughs> when I started going to two and my wife was like, you got to go to two meetings now? I was like, yeah, I think maybe I need two meetings. And now I go to at least a meeting every day. So that's my recovery routine. I love it, Casey. As you well said, mind, body, and spirit. And I'll throw in there that you include connection and community in there as well, which is essential for recovery. So that's great. Absolutely. Casey, what book or piece of recovery literature or quitlet, as you well know, the cool kids call it, had the uh-huh. biggest impact on your recovery? Uh, well, ultimately, I'd have to say it would be the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I'm a member of many different fellowships, but all of them come back to that book. And in fact, uh, pretty much all the meetings that I've gone to, even though those fellowships now have developed their own literature, they still refer back to it. Uh, I go to some meetings for other issues that still just run directly out of the AA big book. So I would say that uh, even if it's sometimes indirectly, that is the one that has had the biggest impact. It is a popular suggestion for great reason. It is very much the most important piece of Quitlet in my own recovery and continues to be so relevant in terms of informing my recovery. I dare say the preeminent text when it comes to recovery for sure. Casey. What is the best piece of advice you've received in recovery thus far? Keep coming back. It gets better. I remember that, that one I, very first meeting. Yeah. And, dude, uh, dude, that one I know is the same. Yeah. I know it. That's what we titled the episode. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I, Points I, for consistency. Hey, look. Yeah, exactly. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and I love it. And I think it's just such a great piece of advice. Just keep coming back you know just just simple but it's just such a great piece of advice casey what is the greatest challenge you've had in recovery thus far oh man uh i would say the first month or so of sobriety was the greatest challenge i had in recovery Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah, i honestly i didn't know if i could make it i didn't know if i wanted to make it like i didn't know if i wanted to live through it i didn't know if i wanted to live sober Um, but at that point I had a two year old little girl at home and I just kind of knew like nobody's life story starts out well with my dad killed himself when, when I was two. So I was, there's again, my higher power kind of using a character defect, good use, kind of tweaked my pride there. I'm like, nope, I'm not leaving that. So I stuck with it. But that first month, that was one of the roughest things I've ever done on purpose. And I didn't know how hard it was going to be. So I can't even say a hundred percent just on purpose, but at least I decided I was going to get sober hell or high water. And, uh, I got both hell and high water. But you know what? The waters came back down. And as uh, I think they say, Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Right. So I did and uh, came out the other side of it. And boy, am I grateful that I did. Yeah, Casey, I love that for a lot of reasons. One of the things I want to highlight there, too, is sounds like a big motivator for you to get into recovery was your daughter. And you often hear you got to do it for yourself. You got to do it for yourself. And ultimately, I fundamentally believe that's true long term. You got to do it for yourself. But any reason is a good reason to get into recovery. Whether that's your daughter, your son, your spouse, your job, your dog, your cat. Any reason is a good reason to get into recovery. And boy, are you right about that first 30 days. Holy macaroni. Just hold on for dear life for the first 30 days and get to as many recovery meetings as you possibly can. Absolutely. Yes. And I will put a little note in there. You know, people say, oh, I'm doing this for my spouse or whatever. That still is doing it for yourself. You just don't realize it yet. Like, I don't want to be that guy who is left lonely in a ditch because my family left me. So ultimately, I'm still doing that for me. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to get left behind. I Maybe I just don't want the conflict at home. Whatever it is, that's still... That's still really about you. I'm still doing it for me. 
Yeah. Good. That's I just a great point. Yet. <laughs> That's a great point. I just haven't figured that piece out yet. That's a great point, Casey. I love that. Casey, what is your greatest success in recovery thus far? Oh, man. Um, a lot of different directions I could go with that. I'm going to say, <laughs> keep it simple, man. The greatest success is that I'm still in recovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything else flows from that. That's my it top sure priority is. in my life because I know if I take care of that, all the other things take care of themselves. You got it. You got it. And it's a very, very special person in my own recovery circle often says, if I don't have recovery, I'll chase everything else out. <laughs> everything yeah. else I will chase out if I don't have recovery. Casey, the next one's a doozy, and then we end with a fun one. Okay. What is something you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Huh. Um, that's a tough one. Thinking. I'm curious to hear, know what, I, know what I said last time to see if I came up with anything that I forgave over the last year, but I can't actually think of anything that feels unforgivable in myself or anyone else, honestly. And that is a perfectly acceptable answer and one we get from time to time, and I am in that same boat. But that's because I practice every day self-forgiveness and forgiveness of others. And yeah. I actively shed resentments against self and others every day, not because I'm trying to be more spiritual than you, but because I have to. Yeah, now there's a lot there's a lot of work behind the idea of not uh, not holding on to those resentments and moving into forgiveness. A lot of work behind that. You totally got it. You and yes, so worth it and necessary for me and possible. We don't have to be living with resentment and unforgiveness. That's a choice. I can also choose to practice forgiveness of self and others, knowing that that's not perfect and that's a process and its own evolution in and of itself. And that if there are things that you haven't forgiven yet, whether that's within yourself or others, that that 100% doesn't mean that your recovery is any less in any way shape or form it's just something that's there that you know at some point you know you and your higher power will address right so but you know the reality is is that we can get to a place where we don't have that yeah absolutely casey here's the fun one what song symbolizes recovery to you oh i'm gonna totally cheat this one unless this is the same answer i gave last time um it's actually a song called Stronger Than We Thought We Could Be. And here's why it's a total cheat. It's a song that my wife and I wrote together. And it indirectly talks about that journey of recovery, about walking through things that we didn't know we could get through, about seeing our daughter get through stuff. And that is by far... And my wife and I met as songwriters, and she's an amazing vocalist, and I am not, which is great, because then I went looking for a vocalist and met her. But uh, we've written a lot of songs and recorded a lot of songs over decades, but that is that is the song that most symbolizes my recovery for me. A, because I couldn't have written it if I wasn't in recovery. B, we wouldn't have still been together if I wasn't in recovery, but also the message of the song itself. Um, and I think the, the title is stronger than we thought we could be. Um, says a lot about it. And uh, of course, I love the way she sings it. So I'm going to go with that. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. The The name of the band, uh, this is an unfortunate coincidence that I never thought could happen in a gajillion years. But the name of our band is called Third Door Down. And there's a very popular band called Three Doors Down that came out about a month after we did. And they got a lot bigger than we did. So you have to wait, you have to wade through uh that to find our stuff but it does exist you can find it on apple music if you look under third door down and that particular song that i mentioned is called stronger than we thought we could be if you put those things in together it'll pop up i love it and indeed in the last episode we did casey we did safe ground by third door down ah, there you go. <laughs> and so that's great and so here is another cut off of that which is stronger than we thought we could be by third door down not three doors down yep. a handy link is in the show notes so check the show notes for 
Casey's best piece of recovery advice, his quit lit recommendation, as well as his song recommendation, which is Stronger Than We Thought We Could Be by Third Door Down. Also in the show notes is a handy link to Casey's new children's book, Mommy's Getting Sober, a children's book that also includes a caregiver's guide to talking to kids about addiction and a great way to get a hold of Casey if you want to. Casey, brother, thanks so much for sharing all about your new book and the very important subject matter that it addresses. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. It's been a blast being back on the show. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing to help so many people. And thanks for letting me be part of it. And thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast land for your ears. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.